Welcome everyone to this week's Really Big Fan Podcast. I am your host, Chizuk. I am joined as always by my co-host, Acronym. That's where you say a thing. Yeah, hi. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we got a a neat show for you today. We're going to be talking to a longtime podcasting um, partner as well as great friend Shawnee Constant. He's got an event coming up this weekend that we're both super excited about. And uh, we're going to be talking about the horror movie that he introduced me to, the horror franchise he introduced me to, The Evil Dead. Uh, Before we get there, I want to say sorry ahead of time if this show is not as polished as it usually is, but I've got Spider-Verse brain rot. We went and saw the movie on Sunday and for the last like 48 hours, just everything in my brain is just like, man, that was so good. How can I see that again? How can I live that for the rest of my life? That was so fantastic. So we'll definitely get into that as the show moves forward. But before we do, was there anything you wanted to say before we hit the headline time? Nah, let's do it. All right. right, Headline time. So this is a story that came up over the weekend that you actually uh, turned me on to. The um, woman who worked for Pixar who historically saved Toy Story 2 has been laid off. Her name is Galen Sussman, and the way the story goes is back in 1988, they accidentally deleted a bunch of the files for the movie, and she was on maternity leave and just happened to have them backed up at home, and therefore they didn't have to like redo a whole bunch of Toy Story 2. You said 1988, didn't you? I did. It's 1998. 1998. Oh, w- my God. I wouldn't have been alive during <laughs> Toy Story 2. And I was like, wait a minute. He said 88. No, it was 1998. <laughs> We're doing great today. 1988 Toy Story 2 would have looked a lot different. Oh, been a, probably flat animation. Muppets uh, or maybe uh, like just uh, stop motion. Well, can I point out, too, that the, the Spider-Man brain rot that we were having is is the exact brain rot we were having with the Muppets, too? A little bit. Because we're just, we hyper-focus on things. I think we're both slightly autistic and we don't know it. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> but uh, I figured that, you know, saving an entire movie to where the franchise didn't die would automatically give you some sort of tenure. And apparently that's not how things work. <laughs> yeah, you would think so. You would think, I mean, at the same time, I also think that like any other anime, animation studio would be happy to have her. Oh, totally. She's definitely going to end up at like DreamWorks or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got one for you here. Um, it's just a short one. But just so you know, the new Blink-182 album is getting mixed. So they have finished recording and we're on to the mixing phase. So if you're crazy into Blink-182, that's coming your way. What are your expectations for the new Blink album? Absolutely nothing. No. If I if I go into a Blink album with expectations, I will be either sad or let down. That was that was my next question is like do you expect that you're going to be uh that you're going to be like eh or are you going to be like holy shit they're back? It really depends on what I what it sounds like. You you saw how I was with Fallout Boy. So like yeah. Fallout Boy not the crazy segue but Fallout Boy was that band that I found in high school before everybody else knew them. And yes, I was that person where I was like, I knew them before everyone else. I still kind of am, but I try not to be as ridiculous about it. Sure. But uh, when Take This to Your Grave came out, I was like showing it to all my friends and was super obsessed with it and stuff like that. And for me, listening to the new Fallout Boy album, I was like, I don't know. 
Yeah. I don't like the front half. There's certain stuff I like. And then the back half, I'm going, the hell happened here? Right. And it's not that it's bad. It's just not what I expected. Because when the right. first single came out for so, so far, so much for Stardust is the album title for that. I listened to the first single. Absolutely loved it. Yeah. I thought the first single was real good, too. S- second single, I was like, eh, they have rivers in the video. This is funny. You know, yeah. like I like it. But I was really hoping when that album came, it was going to be more pop punk. Yeah. And it's kind of like the front half is pop punk. And then it's just like whatever Patrick Stump wanted to do. Right. So I say all this to say with Blink, it's hard to know where it's going to go because we've had two Matt Skiba albums. Now we're going to this. And I personally wasn't crazy about the song Edging when it came out. Right. And like it grows on you to where it's like it's poppy and stuff. But if I'm going to listen to Blink-182, I'm going to listen to the songs I really like. Mm -hmm. And I was really obsessed with their self-titled album that came out in 2003. Yes, three, I believe. And so for me, I'm kind of. 1983. Yeah, 1983. Well, I knew it was either 2003 or 2004 because that was when I saw that epic concert where we mud moshed in the rain. Right. But when I look at what coming with Blink-182 and hearing the first song of Edging, I don't know if they were trying to divert what that whole album was going to sound like, because that seems some like something they would do. They'd put out a song that doesn't sound like the rest of the album to kind of fuck with everybody. Okay. But you have Tom that's gone and done Angels and Airwaves stuff. You've had Mark that's done like Plus 44. They also had Boxcar Racer at one point. These are all their side projects. And being that and Travis Tom, has worked with Nightingale, Nightingale, exactly, and he's had his own albums where he drums and other people come in and do stuff. So with everything that they know how to do now, after growing and splitting and coming back together, I, I have no clue what it's going to sound like. But I don't want to hope it's going to be. It, it, they're not going to sound like they did when they were in their twenties, okay? Right. And for sure, you can already tell with listening to Angels and Airwaves stuff. Tom doesn't sound the same anymore. Mm-hmm. His voice has changed. He still hits those really odd ways of pronouncing words, but yeah, nobody has that accent. They all are older, and they're all going to sound older. So we'll see how it goes, I guess. But fingers crossed. I I like it, but. Honestly, I'm just happy they're doing stuff together again. That that makes everything better. Hell yeah. Very cool. Well, um, Nintendo surprise dropped more games on us for the Nintendo online service. Just yesterday, they gave us on the NES app uh, Mystery Tower, which is a Japanese Namco game. Uh, Kirby Tilt and Tumble on the Game Boy Color and Blaster Master Enemy Below and Harvest Moon on the Super Nintendo app. Uh, the one I'm most excited about is Harvest Moon. I play that on every emulator, Super NES emulator I get. And it's like, it's Stardew Valley. It's single player Stardew Valley. Stardew Valley is based essentially on like how much fun they had with Harvest Moon on the Super Nintendo. And I'm sure I will uh, use it as a as a relaxation tool on <laughs> uh, the Nintendo Island service. The other thing that's really spectacular about that is the Game Boy Color game Kirby Tilt and Tumble. Originally, the cartridge had like a little, um, what's that thing called? That you when you move it, it uh, it understands how it's been moved. I can't think Joy-Con? of a gyroscope. Oh, had a gyroscope in it, and because of the way the the Joy Cons work, they one of them has a gyroscope in it. You can actually play it with your Switch the way you would play it with the Game Boy by tilting it all over the place, like you do with some of the puzzles in Zelda Breath of the Wild. So that's fun. I love that they are still. Even though it's minimal and it's spaced out, I love that they're still continuing to support the NES and the Super NES app, which we've had for three years now with some new releases here and there. 
Cool. So I dig that. I've got, um, so I'm going to pair these two together because these two are very short, but Dave Grohl put out a message to the fans after doing the first chunk of their tour. Mm-hmm. And they said, he, he goes, it's been a while. Now that we've returned from our run of shows, I felt compelled to reach out and thank all of you for being there for us. Every night when I saw you singing, it makes me sing harder. When I see you screaming, it makes me scream louder. When I see your tears, it brings me to tears. And when I see your joy, it brings me joy. But I see you and it feels so good to see you uh, churning up these emotions together because we've always done this together time and time again. See you soon. Dave Grohl, which is very sweet. Uh, he's He's gone through a lot. Apparently, so I misspoke before when I was talking about his mom. Apparently his mom died like a while ago. Oh, okay. I did not realize that, so my Which apologies they, there. They just did that TV show, what, like last year or the yeah, year before? exactly. So that's kind of where I was like a little lost. And Alex actually, Alex Cashel, concert photographer, she pulled it up and was like, no, that happened like six months ago or so. I'm like, I just found out about that. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I kind of missed that one. The The other quick one that I was pairing with this was that Metallica has a sense of humor. Um, okay. They tweeted out the other day, it's time to celebrate the most important anniversary of the year. On this day, 20 years ago, St. Anger was re- unleashed onto the world. Got a favorite song? Sound it out in the comments. <laughs> they know that's their worst album. <laughs> they know. Well, finally, uh, I've got good news for fans of Good Omen. Season 2, hitting July 28th going to be six episodes long and uh they just released the trailer for it which you can watch online i haven't seen the trailer yet i just saw the news as i said spider ran spider verse brain rot is real uh, i was scrambling to find a couple of headlines for this morning but definitely looking forward to more good omens nice gonna be a good time we've got two more really short silly ones um paramore has been bringing a bunch of people on stage their concert is today in detroit i did secure a ticket this morning against my bank account's judgment but she's been bringing multiple people on stage as a late she meaning Haley williams and lil uzi vert was one of those who's a rapper okay apparently he had dm'd her at one point and asked her like can we work together on a song and she's like, I don't want to be that famous, bro. And I'm like, Haley, <laughs> really? Haley, everybody knows who you are. What are you talking about? You're best friends with Taylor Swift. What is wrong with you? Right. So there's that, which side note to that also, uh, T- Haley Williams is going to be on P- Taylor Swift's Speak Now Taylor's version, as well as Flaw Boy. So that should be interesting. But she also brought out a Gen Z congressman, and I showed you this video the other day. Yeah. That dude is high-stepping. He is screaming the song. He is having a blast. And he came out, and the first thing that came out of his mouth was, fuck Ron DeSantis, which was amazing. So hats off to that guy. And just a little bit of silliness here. If you have not pulled up Tenacious D's cover of Wicked Game... You can do it now and see Kyle's balls just bouncing everywhere in his tidy whities as Jack chases him through the water. They did not do the video in black and white. I'm surprised they didn't. Right. But it's still funny as hell. And I will say this as well, that your prophecy about Jack Black and Peaches did come true because listener of the show, Tony B, my my spidey guy, my right. every, my goofy, like I talk to him every day. Um. His kid wanted to listen to Peaches. Yeah. So his kid listened to Peaches, 
And then it went right to Tenacious D. Of course it did. And he panicked. And he's like, Dad, that sounded so cool. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I know it did. That's, <laughs> like, that's the problem. No. <laughs> it is unfair that Jack White uh, has Jack that Black. good a singer. Jack Black has that good a singing voice. Yes. And it, it was literally just, it went from Peaches to other Jack Black songs in his yeah. catalog. And he's like, oh, God. Yep. So y- you did think that would happen to someone and Make sure it happened have- to someone I know. Make sure you have the parental <laughs> uh, guidance on whatever your streaming service is. Yes. So that your child doesn't get introduced to fuck her gently <laughs> at far too early an age. It's funny you brought up Bowser, too, because I just saw this article on Kotaku. Uh, apparently, Bowser is 34. It's canon that Bowser is 34, and the reason for that is the newly released unlisted video from Nintendo of America that uh, shows you how to create a Nintendo account, and they use Bowser as an example, and he puts his birthday in as February 5th, 1989, which is four years after Super Mario Brothers, so he was four years old when he fell in the lava lake in Super Mario Brothers. I mean, A, creepy, but B, I'm also older than Bowser. Yeah. By like a couple months. Says in the same video, we see Bowser's junior birthday is March 3rd, 2010, which makes him 13 as well. <laughs> is he still wearing a diaper? No. At 13? Bowser Jr. in a diaper. Is he? No, I must hmm. be thinking of a different one. Though. You're probably thinking of the baby, the baby guy. Thinking of Donkey Kong Jr. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> all right. Well, let's get to our interview segment. Johnny Constant's going to come in here. He's going to tell us all about the Friends of Matilda summer of 2023 event that we're going to be hanging out at this Sunday as well as talk about Evil Dead next on the Really Big Fan Pod. Welcome back everyone to the Really Big Fan Podcast. As always, I'm your host Chisok, joined by Acronym, and I'm real excited today because we're joined by somebody who has also co-hosted a podcast with me, both uh, the Talk Horror to Me podcast and the uh, One Fall Show I'm talking about my uh, co- my co-host and good friend, Mr. Shawnee Constant. How are you tonight, Shawnee? Hello, everybody. I am doing great. I am doing great, Chuck. And you may recall, uh, I'd always say during those years of doing podcasts for uh, roughly 20 people a week, uh, the best thing about doing a podcast is being a guest on other podcasts, and that still holds true today. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, it's timely that we have you here because as of... Uh, this show, when this show airs, you've got a show of your own, a punk rock show coming up locally. Do you want to tell our, our people about it? Yeah, I'm putting on a benefit for uh, the clinic I work at, all about animals, as well as a couple of rescues that I'm I'm pretty close with. Uh, and uh, we uh, we've got a bunch of bands playing and some yeah, some some vendors and some different things over at a, a place in Detroit called the Tangent Gallery, who are really cool about uh, about giving us the space at a really low price. And uh, we're just going to try to raise some money. Um, there's a group called Punks for Paws, uh, Trash Cat over there. She prefers Trash Cat to her uh, her uh, government name being used. Um, has put on a show for the last couple of years in September. And I've gone to them both and absolutely loved them and thought, well, I think there's room for another one. Uh, And uh, so I collaborated with her, made sure not to step on her toes. Uh, Her show will still be in September, but I'm just drawing from a different pool of bands and a different pool of uh, potential uh, guests, audience members, supporters. Uh, So we're going to give it a try and see. Hopefully uh, we're able to grow together rather than stepping on each other's toes. But we're at a particularly tough time right now. Um, you know, the economy is slowing down. Um, 
almost every rescue that I keep tabs on is saying that they are a hundred percent full and they have been for several months. Um, it's a problem. It's a challenge that is, is really hard to adopt out of, but we'd really like to, uh, adopt out of this problem as much as we possibly can. Um, but uh, the, the people who contact rescues who then try to emotionally manipulate or blackmail a rescue who literally can do no more i mean right you know imagine hearing every day you just don't care about animals from somebody who whose animal you can't take <laughs> uh you know um formerly non uh non uh uh kill shelters i guess uh that's not the term i was looking for but formerly long time non non kill sh shelters are in a position that that they have to um now these aren't obviously the independent uh uh rescues which are just amazing um and and that's what um, i'm hoping to get more involved in through this uh th through putting together this show really i wanted to get more involved in the community uh because uh in the i work in a, in a veterinary clinic in the operating room it's a very closed area i mean i know that world really well i know the animals that come through really really well you know we we spay and neuter anywhere anywhere between 75 and 100 animals a day uh five days a week um and a lot of those are are street cats for example tnr trap neuter release um if you ever see a cat out in the street i'm a friend of street cats by the way um if you ever see a cat out in the street with a clipped ear um there's a chance that that was frostbite but there's also a chance that that is uh, a, a cat that was trapped brought in to be neutered returned to the colony the thought behind that being if you just take them off the streets the new colonies will take those spaces but uh some animal populations have a tendency to start even and out once they get to a certain level um so by keeping those colonies out there uh it prevents uh, a whole new colony to develop as a result of the vacuum and that that's at least the goal uh, a lot like we heard so much with covid um, there's a certain herd meant uh, herd level that you have to get to for that to really work sure and so that's why i mean we we do uh well over a hundred um community cats every week over at the clinic wow yeah, the um, the no kill shelters having to consider, you know, letting some of these animals go is really sad. Not to not to hit the Sarah McLaughlin button yeah. in that, but uh, it 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 is very much an important thing. And I'm gonna just speak to that on on the fact that you've got this event coming up to have these events and bring that awareness to people as well. Um, and, you know, to do it with also having all of this fun, you've got you listed two to ten all ages show music from Lily Livers, El Rad, Antimatter, Sharik, Randy Bastards, Bathroom of the Future, ten dollars suggested donation and then a cash bar and raffles. So you got a lot planned and that's super excited. When do the bands start? Bands are going to start at around four o'clock and that'll put us pretty much till the ten o'clock. Um uh, being uh, an older punk, a punk of a certain age, let's say, uh, the idea of, of something of a matinee was appealing to me. Uh, I'd never worked on organizing or promoting a show before, and uh, 
So I did not want to make it too daunting. I will say that the punks for pause, uh, they put on full 12 hour shows and that is admirable. I love that. They do that. I cannot hang for that long. Sure. So, uh, we went for a little bit more of a concise, um, and we'll see how that goes. Um, but, uh, you know, these are it's 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 the poppier spectrum of punk. Um, so this is we were excited about the all ages tag because I think that uh, a lot of the friends that I've made over the years in the community are excited by the idea that they can bring nieces, nephews, kids. Um, and these are bands that generally speaking, um, that's that's cool. Um, yeah, I think they'll I think they'll do very well with uh, with the a younger crowd as well as, you know, all us older punks. <laughs> Yeah, and so that was that was the goal, and uh, oh, don't forget, um, sisters on a roll are going to have vegan tacos available. Chuck, I do believe that you, uh, I hell, believe both of you know yes. the, the sisters on a roll and their amazing vegan tacos. Yeah, I am an omnivore. Uh, I'm going to an event uh, on Sunday with one of the rescues that is going to be uh, at our event, um, uh, uh, Misfit Angels Rescue. Uh, and they are going to have barbecue. I'm very much looking forward to partaking in that. Nice. But I can say these vegan tacos, chef's kiss, they're really, really, really good. Yeah, after Streepy went out, we've yeah. we've lost our vegan tacos. Bit of, so bit of a this bumper. Is, this might be our new opportunity. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, the other reason I wanted to have you on the podcast is because it's the Really Big Fan podcast. And there is a uh, a set of movies that I would not be a really big fan if I had not been introduced to them by you and that is the evil dead army of darkness series of movies and i'm really curious where did where did that franchise start for you like what was your first exposure to it so uh being a kid of the 80s um i would watch the saturday morning cartoons and whatnot now i believe that and i may be mistaken by a year or two but uh, i think that army of darkness came out in 92 so I would have been about 16 years old. Um, I wasn't getting up at six in the morning to catch the great space coaster or whatever the earliest yeah. cartoon of the day was, but I still liked, uh, spending many of my Saturday mornings with my feet up against the heat duck, uh, watching whatever was on, on Saturdays on the network television. And there would be the, uh, uh, the, the two review fellows, uh, Siskel and Ebert. And then there would be sort of a long form behind the scenes look at a movie that was coming out. Now I didn't realize that this was just a big ad. Uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, I, I, I would watch that with some relative frequency. Um, the one that sticks out the most was army of darkness. And it was this, this movie that just had this crazy sort of mix of, you know, I was a dungeons and dragons player, very avid at that time. Sure. Uh, and, uh, you know, so you had castles and and this ridiculously rubber-faced man who was fighting, you know, uh, obviously model skeletons. And I just, I, everything about it just was screaming my name. This was uh, one of those instances where I went to the theater opening night, came out thinking I just saw the next great classic. And it turned out that it was me and like a hundred of my friends across the whole country that saw this movie. It was not uh, a movie that was well, well received. I don't think it came close to making its budget, but um, as people may have noticed, there's been a TV series. There've been a couple of uh, reboots. Uh, I don't even know if that's fair. There have a couple of iterations now um, yeah. in, in, in the last uh, 10 years or so including evil dead rise which just came out and uh which we saw together chuck and uh fantastic it is it 
I I liked the the previous one as well. Uh, the previous one was very much a very dark horror film, yes. uh, right to the point that your main character is a recovering heroin addict. You know, like it, it was dark. Uh, I dug it, but um, the first Evil Dead was a straight horror film. But I think that was really based on budgetary constraints and the conditions in which they were making the movie. You know, these were uh, Michigan State students who, I, if I remember correctly, had less than $100,000. They were driving to Tennessee to film at this cabin, which uh, sadly, you know, I throughout the Internet, it, it existed for a good long time. My understanding now is that it has burned down. Uh, the you damn the kids. The people involved in the film. Somebody was urban exploring and tried to do steel wool. I will bet my life savings on it. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I I never had the, I never had the gumption to go look for it, which is unfortunate. You know, like so many of us, you know, uh, one of my favorite things to point out to people is that the internet has the, uh, the collected knowledge of all of human history but what do we all use it for? Uh, you don't have to say it out loud, but it's probably <laughs> not to make yourself as smart as the smartest people in collective human history. Right. Uh, I didn't even have the good sense to say, hmm, I wonder if there's a group of people who have found the evil dead. Uh, it, it, Tennessee is a beautiful state to visit. Love it. But apparently uh, that movie was made under extremely rough conditions, a lot of rain, a lot of, of, of hauling equipment up and down muddy uh, hills, um, there's a couple of books, uh, Bruce Campbell has written, um, confessions of a B movie actor was uh, the first one, if I remember correctly. Uh, and uh, you know, he talks all about the making of the movie and, and the challenges of basically starting a business out of art, uh, and, and, and doing it in a way that has now, you know, now we're 40 years on almost 50 years on from the original evil dead i think it has a 1981 release date but it was one of those that they spent i believe several years making it was started in the late 70s um probably inspired still by halloween you know halloween uh, john carpenter's halloween was such a huge movie that it it took it inspired people to start making movies so you still were seeing its effects three and four years down the line because when you're dealing with film developing and 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 realizing that oh my camera wasn't in focus and so I had to do the whole damn thing over again and the tremendous costs involved in all that uh, you were seeing a lot of independent movies coming out for years you know uh, four years later you'd have a movie coming out that was inspired by halloween but it took them that long to collect the money and to film it and then to afford to get it developed and then to sit and cut up all the little films uh you know it's uh it was so much more work back then and uh i think that's probably what makes uh bruce campbell still uh, such an advocate for it to this day you know he and sam raimi could certainly enjoy their lives without having ever giving uh evil dead another thought after the failure the box office failure of of of, uh army of darkness but those movies through video passing videos on and then releasing uh ever increasing bundles of dvds you know like this dvd has this much and then another dvd with a little more they really captured they really tapped into what we now just know as fan culture before it was a defined thing they really helped to define it uh i remember early 2000s i went to a convention 
essentially to get Bruce Campbell's autograph. Uh, and that was out of the ordinary for me. I, I have very few autographs and, and most that I do are just people that were at a convention. I happened to be there and I had the extra 20 bucks. Now it's 40 or 60. I don't yeah. have an, I don't ever have an extra $40. I'm sorry. celebrities <laughs> at the conventions. Thankfully it's become such a big thing. They don't need my money. But Bruce Campbell seemed to understand even way back then. Um, you know, he was 10 years removed from uh, Army of Darkness, but yet he was showing up at a convention and the fans that had built up over time through basically passing around, you know, physical media um, and doing something so weird. You know, the first movie is a straight horror movie. The second movie had money from HBO uh, and 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 a, a big push from Stephen King at the time, actually. Uh, and it's... a the first bit of the movie is um, pretty much the same movie. Uh, they go in some different directions, but they also add a ton of slapstick and some very, very inventive visual effects. Obviously, all practical. This was still uh, 1987, I think. Um, but Sam Raimi just brought such a... He was such an interesting character historically because he, he loved classic movies so we're talking to what uh, to us the 80s are classic movies to him he would have been looking at the 40s you know uh 40 <laughs> that's how that time works out but you know he, he was looking at at hitchcock he was looking at at, at um at john carpenter these just really meticulous directors uh who again had to get their shots right because it was so expensive to have film developed um, but he also loved the Three Stooges. Uh, I was not a Three Stooges guy, but I was a Looney Tunes guy. And if you, they're to me the same thing, different yeah, mediums yeah. of the same jokes. Uh, and 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 you got a lot of that, but with a with a twisted horror bent in um in in Evil Dead Two. Also, one of the great movie covers of all time, the skull. A little bit three quarters, but with the right. eyeballs looking off to the side, beautiful work, beautiful work, very eye catching. Um, and, and then we, it's seemingly Army, you know, Army of Darkness was the end of it, you know, and and a lot of people didn't love it. Uh, it's it's a dark fantasy movie. Um, again, fit right in the pocket for me as a Dungeons and Dragons player and a fan of of slap stickery uh, and blood fountains shooting high geyser blood geysers <laughs> yes uh, the blood fountain <laughs> uh that's a movie that i can quote like yeah, movies and 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 i when i talk uh, at the clinic i work with almost exclusively people in their 20s and if we ever do end up talking about movies i uh i always um anyone who demurs from their favorites i always say your favorite movies are going to be the ones you saw at a certain age and so, I mean, you know, jerks can argue about whether your favorite movies are good or not, but they weren't 12 when they saw it. You know, they weren't yep. 16 when they saw it. So, of course, they're going to have a different point of view. And 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 crabby old people seem to forget that they were ever 14 and they loved that thing because they were 14. The thing is not better. You were just younger. Right. And there's something that goes with this, too, because you, when you said dark fantasy, I started thinking of things like the crow labyrinth, all that stuff. And there is like this weird pit of area between like 80s and 90s that are just like full of cult classic films. And I don't know if that's because of like the production value, if it's because of the story, if it's because it's not a reboot of a reboot of a reboot of a reboot. 
I'm not exactly sure what it is, but like you have these stories that are very beloved over a certain amount of time, like even stuff like Clerks and, you know, these movies that kind of turned the idea of movie making on its head. But it seems like it's very centric to that area. You don't have as much romance about something in 2010 or, you know, something like that. I mean, maybe down the line, like I know that I've mentioned before, like there was this whole bit about, you know, how people were obsessed with Twilight. And now it seems to be like people are starting to talk about the Hunger Games like that. Right. And I'm like, are we getting to that point where the Hunger Games is going to be the new it's, Twilight? Yeah, it's nostalgia now. It, it, it's interesting to see those different things, especially when it comes to horror, because like horror has been around for so long and there's so much of it. You have streaming services now. You have Shudder that's just completely dedicated to a horror thing. And then you have movies that do lean into horror slapstick, like we all went and saw Renfield together, which really is is right in there with that type of vibe. Yeah. So it's interesting to me to wonder, like, will certain things like Renfield and other movies that we're seeing now that are from the horror base become some sort of a cult classic? I mean, I think certain things that you see on Netflix, obviously, like something like Stranger Things is obviously always going to be around a cult classic. But some of the other movies, I, I don't know. Everything was franchising, like the Conjuring universe and everything right. else. Do those things all have a cult following or is it because we love horror or is it because, you know, everybody that is into horror is willing to give horror a chance because even if it's bad, sometimes it's good. Right. Where Where's the line with all that, do you think? It's very interesting. Look, horror nerds are a very specific kind of nerd and I love them because they are often the meanest looking people, but just the friendliest. If you can break bread over horror movies, um, a lot of very giving people, uh, in the horror community. I absolutely adore them. And you know, I'd like with any, you have a toxic element to any, you know, if your community is a Facebook group, um, there's going to be challenges, right. Um, and it requires like with everything now, a good curators, but but there's so many horror fans and and so many people willing to celebrate horror. It, it's really a very very cool thing, and and I find that now maybe I just always gravitated towards them, but um, uh, a couple of different satellite worlds, uh, Land of the Creeps uh, has a long time podcast, and they are just super into making sure it's a positive experience for everybody. Um, um decades of horror gruesome magazine same uh these are two areas where you can find a lot of podcast reviews of horror movies and uh, and and the people behind them i know personally i've gotten to know personally starting off as just a fan of their show and i followed them for many years and the reason that even if i fall away from them i always come back is because i know that it's going to be a warm community and for whatever reason you know like i star wars is where i think of where just like for somehow some way one day a whole bunch of people showed up who didn't understand what star wars was and they were just accusing everything of being woke when i'm like oh you mean you want the old days of this multicultural test to rebels fighting against the intergalactic police force but you don't want the new woke multicultural <laughs> collection of I can't remember. Like, it's the same thing. Yeah, this is what the Tony story Gilroy is always been. I might have said it where it was like Tony Gilroy, I think, was the one that did, but he was like 
Star Wars has always been political. It was either him or right. Mark Hamill. I can't remember which one. Yeah. But that's... some might have been Mark Hamill. That sounds like a Mark Hamill. Yeah, it's like Star Wars has always been political. And if you think anything different, then you miss the entire point. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's the rebellion against yeah. the evil empire and the evil empire dress very, very similar to Nazi, Nazi Germany. Yes. Right. Yes. So I don't think that was accidental. No, no, the the guy that was in The Force Awakens, the ginger guy that was in Harry Potter, I always blank on his name. He definitely looked like a Nazi. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, it's interesting when I like I think about it, too, because, you know, like I say, with the streaming services and things, there are some ways that people get horror movies out so much easier now. Now that it's the digital age, like if I had to edit a video by cutting film strips, I would just kill myself right there. (laughs) But when it comes down to like horror movies, a lot of people like doing horror films from a directing standpoint and from a creative standpoint, because you can play with practical effects and you can go dark with it. You have access to things like liquid latex to make scars. You have fake blood and you could just look at tutorials now on YouTube and TikTok to learn how to do this stuff. I think but it too is when it comes to the physical effects of horror, like the grosser it looks, the better. Yeah. So yeah. You don't it, have to worry about making something like super pretty because if it looks gross, it's supposed to. It's horror. Right. And the budget's not that bad for it. Like in, in terms of even creating like, we know I'm a photographer, creating photography stuff that is semi horror based. I can get liquid latex for under eight dollars shipped to my house. I know how to apply practical effect like that because I have a makeup artist best friend that taught me and so like there are ways to do that but I I make my own fake blood out of corn syrup so people can put it in their mouth and let it fall out and stuff and it's super easy to do and that's not to take away from the storytelling because you obviously have to build a great script and do all these other things but you're not going to have the same level of like well, it needs to be Marvel movie tip top. Right. Especially when you're doing something as ridiculous and slapstick as Velocipaster or Thanksgiving <laughs> or, you know, even in that sense, Renfield, too. A lot of that's digital, but there was still a lot of it that could have been probably practical. But the weirder or goofier it is, if you're leaning into the slapstick like, you know, an Army of Darkness movie, right. you're going to love that a lot more. Now, I've seen people make mistakes like Michigan based horror movies where they go so hard trying to look so realistic that it ends up looking non-realistic. So you kind of have to find a good medium between the two. But with everything that's out there, whether you can do Kickstarters, you can do uh, streaming services, you can do uh, online releases now. You can it's just like drop your video on YouTube. Yeah, you can literally do anything. Didn't we go down a rabbit hole of watching like found footage YouTube stuff that was horror based? It was amazing. found footage horror shit on YouTube. There's so many things that you can do with that. So like in in you've been in a horror movie. You you supported a Kickstarter, correct? Yeah, I bought my way into a horror movie because I've always wanted to be in one and I thought I can afford this. And uh yeah, I flew out to uh to um uh the Arizona and uh hung out for a few days in the desert. Uh thankfully legal weed out there. I like that very much. Nice. I decided to go for a walk one day and ended up like five miles away from my destination out in the <laughs> desert sun that was that was questionable but uh <laughs> uh i i had a blast and you know i think one of the things that uh, so in the olden days of hollywood from what i've read um horror movies were sort of a cheap 
You could get a cheap pop at the at the at the box office. And so somebody who was new to filmmaking that would they'd have to go through horror to get to the movies they wanted to make. Well, eventually, um, and I think this has a lot to do with uh the late 60s, early 70s, the times when Rob Zombie was a kid. If you listen to Rob Zombies or want to look for a Rob Zombie interview, he talks about it a lot. But you know, there was there were these packages of black and white films that were being sold to basically every network around the country. So there's a certain set of old horror movies that every kid at that time was seeing. Um, there was a, a fanzine uh, coming out at the time that uh, is, of course, going to elude me. It'll come to me after I. Fangoria? I no, no. Prior to Fangoria. Oh, okay. uh, Fangoria, late 70s through the 80s, but going back even 10 years before that. Um, but it, it just it sort of had collected the kids and it goes back to the idea that what you saw when you were 12 is the thing that you love there is this sort of this sort of um this this idea that had gone from that horror was just bad for you the way horror infiltrated into people's TVs was well horror is bad for you but old black and white movies are good for you right the traditionalists the, right. Uh, the conservative christians the reagan era now going into the 80s they were like, well, how bad can it be? Because things that happened in the past are better, right? And and, and as, as humans, we all lean to that to a certain extent, somehow, some way. Um, doesn't have to necessarily be leaned into in a toxic way that some people do. But um, we all uh, are, are, are liberal and conservative uh, in, in terms of uh, what we like, you know, outside of the political spectrum, but just as a philosophical thing. And so, so you had all these kids that 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 were were the the Adams family, um, yeah. the Munsters. You know, they'd yeah. often, if if I remember correctly, going way back into when I was four, five, six. I think those were paired essentially with the Batman TV show from the '67. Yep. So we were seeing these things together, and it was mixing them all into one bowl. And so in the uh, '90s, when you had a lot of independent filmmakers that were coming out of the woodwork, just people who who were were making their own films in their own communities, um, horror was the driving force for a lot of them. Um, you know, you do have have your your clerks and uh, uh, your Tarantino stuff, which leans in, in, into a broader spectrum. But there were people who just wanted to make horror movies. I think it also leans itself into the DIY artist, someone who wants to work behind the camera, but also likes to get into the muck. You get to make your own muck, as you yeah. said, Amy, yourself. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of fun in that, you know. And 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 so uh, for a certain type of artist, if you want to be making physical things in addition to something that you're going to look at on a screen, you know, a projection of light, uh, horror is a lot of fun. Um, and and you can sort of hone your craft in terms of what you're building to be the sort of sub stars of your film, whatever these effects may be, uh, while you're collecting the money and trying to find the people who are going to show up to actually execute the script. And then, you know, uh, all these things, very challenging, you know? Um, so I, I admire anybody who's able to make any length of movie, you know, um, you made music videos, right? How many times, and I, I don't know the answer to this, so I apologize if I'm going way off the mark, but yeah. I'm guessing how many times have you gone to a music video shoot? And it turns out that not everyone who said they were going to be there actually shows up. 
And it turns out that those people were actually needed for the production. <laughs> yes, yes. There was actually even a music video where I had to be in the music video because one of the girls didn't show up and the the casting called for five and it was supposed to be a, a body positive shoot. And I ended up having to have the one other person that was in the room who was the skinny person out of everybody take the camera and have her film me because she was used to filming me anyway. We were doing a lot of creative stuff together. So I ended up having her film my segment and then had to film everybody else's. And then I cut and colored and edited. And sometimes even when like you're talking about doing the the um event that you're putting together there are times where people are like i'm gonna be there i'm gonna help you do all this and then i end up doing 90 percent of it myself <laughs> so it, it happens on not even just film productions just productions period where you have yeah. that happen yeah. but with horror it's like you can rewrite on the spot mm-hmm. with a lot of things you can you can kind of mess with and rewrite on the spot if something doesn't work out be like okay well here's a quick fix because you don't need graphics you don't need a b c d right but when it comes to you know doing something that has a very strict storyline or has something where like it has to be clean and well lit and everything else like the cleaner the production whether it's photo video whatever the harder it becomes to do that work i don't know if that's everybody else but that's absolutely with me interesting if i can be more gritty grimy mess with things and create chaos i'm way more happy with that than trying to create like screenshots uh, or photos of a t-shirt on a background with right. a white background you know so f- horror has it's it's fun with that and then you have the flip side of like where you were watching the movie malignant yeah and you showed me a really stupid scene i call it stupid but it's also brilliant it's of, amazing. of the the actress in it has a face on the back of her head and she's fighting people backwards yeah and he goes you have to watch this clip it's so ridiculous and i watched it and i'm like if that movie got greenlit, anybody who has a horror movie should just put their stuff in now. Like, because we have Shudder, we've got all of these other places. Like, if you can get that greenlit and people are willing to pay for that movie, then, you know, I like God think that they conceptualized that scene and then worked backwards. <laughs> How can we get there? <laughs> While she's fighting back while she's there working. Backwards. Yeah, they're like, how can we make it so that we get to that high point kind of thing? Yeah, and we're... We're hitting a spot in, in in theaters where people are starting to get superhero fatigue. For the last decade, I've heard filmmakers complain. Uh, uh, Tarantino still does it. Uh, but the the idea that a mid-budget film just can't make it in the theater. It's got to be these giant tentpole four quadrants. got to be appealing to every... Well, horror movies have... It turns out that anything from, you know, a $100,000 micro-budget nothing film like... Uh, terrifier two maybe two hundred fifty thousand dollars all said and done um the uh the the i i I have to admit i have not seen it don't know that i will go out of my way to see it uh i I liked the idea when i read about it but heard it's off the um winnie the pooh blood and honey um these are movies that just horror fans love to be horror fans and our communities are really well established now through uh facebook groups and uh all all the social media right and and so like if you can ingratiate yourself to any horror fan the word will get out quickly and we will come out and and they're finding that and so we're going to see this nice little horror boom um you know now how long that lasts i don't know 
Uh, it's certainly not going to be a 20 years. Of, we're not going to have 20 years of horror. I don't know if we're going to have 20 years of theaters, uh, movie theaters, you know. <laughs> we're not going to have 20 years of the world the way this is going. Well, you know, well, uh, <laughs> but, um, you know. Where is heartbreak going to feel good if we don't have theaters? I guess we're going to have to have the cold kid been come right to our door. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. Shawnee, thank you so much for your time tonight. And thank you for introducing me to both Army of Darkness and Dead Alive back before. Oh, I was a big, I was yes, a big chicken. Yes. I did not like horror movies. And Shawnee's like, no, this is funny <laughs> as well as scary. You're going to love this. I will never live out of that old lady eating the ear. I will never. <laughs> That's one of the, the greatest. I'm not a cringe person, uh, but that is one of the great cringe moments. I think I got to see that. I was 17 years old, and it happened to be showing. This is a New Zealand film, Peter Jackson, who went on, of course, to do all the Lord of the Rings stuff. Uh, mega superstar. He he started off essentially following the Sam Raimi mold, doing independent, all practical effect horror movies, late uh, 80s, early 90s in New Zealand. It had made its way to the United States. I don't remember how. I was going to a coffee house. There was a flyer on the wall, and I showed up. It was like a 20-minute drive to get there, which seemed like an eternity at the age of 17. Like, you know, I, I was like, oh. I got there, and they're like, we're a bar. You have to be 18 to get in the bar. I'm like, the, the thing says 17. And they're like, yeah, we don't know. Like, kid, you can't come in. <laughs> and I don't know who this this angel was uh, that was working the box office, but he said, you know what? Give me a second. And he comes back and he says, you do not drink alcohol. And he let me come in. And I had just like that. I, I think that sealed me as a horror fan, to be honest with you. The combination of the bombast of that movie, Dead Alive. Yeah. Not seeing Dead Alive and you enjoy the idea of horror comedy. Find it. It is brilliant. But only the non-rated version. There was a rated R version released. Stunk. Cut out all of the fun stuff. All of the fun stuff. <laughs> Picking ass in the name of the Lord. <laughs> Shot That's my forward. mother you're pissing on. <laughs> I look forward to seeing you this Sunday at the Tangent Gallery for the Friends of Matilda Summer of 23. All the punk bands that you could ask for, as well as the cash bar and the raffles for a $10 suggested donation. One last question. Will Matilda be in attendance? Yes. So if the weather continues to hold... uh uh, on, uh the weather's gorgeous right now uh as a gardener i feel like we're on the front end of a really scary drought it's really nice to have had this beautiful sunny days but man we have not gotten a drop of rain and we're like the dog days don't normally start till late july and august and we are like in dog days weather but the nice thing is if the weather stays like this uh and we're going to be able to host the entire thing outdoors at the tangent gallery sunday june 11th from 2 to 10 p.m uh, $10 suggested donation, although no one will be turned away for lack of funds. So come on out and hang out with us. And uh, yes, if we're able to hang out, if it's rainy, we have to bring everything inside. I'm not going to bring Matilda. Uh, but That's if we're fair. able to hang outside, yeah, Matilda will come with me. Um, I'm on the fence about her sister. It's uh, they, they have a roaming uh, club dog. Um, People who know the place bring their dogs. This is not necessarily a, hey, let's all bring our dog event. Uh, I don't know how that would go. That was not part of the deal with the club. But, but I do know that last year I showed up with Matilda and we were able to walk in. So that was cool. She had a great time. 
The only I just did that. Look at that. Look at that cute face. You can find that picture on social media as well if you want to see that cute picture in color or look at your local coffee shops and record stores because we've been attacking them like crazy. Man, the community came out so huge. Talk about punk time. You know, uh, I'm, I'm closing in on 50 years old now, and I'm so happy to say that punk time is real and punk time has not changed. We started basically we're like oh we only have a couple of weeks we better actually do this thing and the community came out huge over memorial day weekend the bands amy you were integral in getting this thing off the ground and we got i don't know 60 70 posters hung up flyers distributed all over the place it was very very cool and uh super invigorating and the awesome thing is i i had spent about a week just basically waking up every day in in, in a cold sweat uh, I haven't done the things I'm supposed to have done. I've been procrastinating. I don't even know why I chose to do this in the first place. This is all out of my league. And man, people came out. I am just now just looking forward to it. And awesome. I've got I've got people coming at me with questions. And they're like, but what about this? And but what about this? Have you thought about this? And I'm just like, nope, nope, <laughs> nope. We're all going to show up that day. And we're going to hope for the best. Like yep. every punk show I have ever been at in the city of Detroit over the last 30 years. Thanks so much, Shawnee. We'll be right back with more of the Really Big Fan Podcast. It's the Really Big Fan Podcast. Thanks, as always, to Shawnee for uh, jumping in and talking to us about his love of horror movies, Evil Dead, and otherwise, and uh, promoting his show that, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, we're both really looking forward to going to. Heck yeah. It's going to be a fun time. Do you have a quiz for me, Nick? Um... Yes and no. Yeah. Kind of. Because I know that like you've seen some of the Evil Dead movies. I introduced you to Army of Darkness and stuff, but I like I don't want to hit you with like really hard Evil Dead questions. Yeah, I probably wouldn't win those, honestly. But um, you know what you could do is um, we didn't plan this part out at all today. Spider-Verse brain uh, rot. Yep. Spider-Verse brain rot. Hashtag. Um, why don't you ask me like give me. 10 of your favorite horror movies and see if I've seen them. Ooh, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because that was one of the questions I was going to ask you. It's another one of those, there is no wrong answer uh, questions, but what would you say is some of the scariest horror movies you've seen that like you had to like take a, like uh, for instance, uh, there's a movie that's on Amazon called Hell House LLC. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to stop. I was watching it on my phone yeah. and I had to stop watching it and take a break in the middle of the movie because <laughs> I was like, all right, this is creeping me out. Um, So I, I, I haven't necessarily like I'll say Midsummer is probably the most fucked up movie I've watched, but I wasn't sure. afraid of it. Sure. That's the same time because it's it's like psychological thriller more so. Right. I do remember that Chris uh made me watch the conjuring at his house before okay and i was staying there on the couch for the night i forget where we were going but it needed to be early in the morning so i just stayed there okay and um (laughs) he was like oh yeah you know watch the conjuring and so we watch it and then he goes okay i'm going to bed i'm like hey do you have like a a harry potter dvd set or something and then there's something what and I'm like I I don't do horror movies very well and I'm in a place I don't know and yeah. I'm gonna f- wake up freaked out because I'm in a place that I don't know yeah uh can I just put put on the Sorcerer's Stone or something while I sleep and he's like oh my god 
He goes, and you know what? You make yourself out to be such a badass. And I was like, hey, I never told anybody that I wasn't afraid of anything. I just act like I'm not. It was spooky scary. <laughs> so, so The Conjuring definitely was one of those movies where it was like, I definitely, not to sound like a tin, like a weirdo tinfoil hat, but I, I definitely feel like supernatural stuff is, is real in terms of ghosts. Yeah, you want to fuck with Ouija boards. Yes, exactly. No, I, I just lean into fucking with Ouija boards just to upset <laughs> Just you. to upset me. Yes, but like that definitely freaks me out. I think the only thing that I've ever cold stopped because I was so freaked out was the Trinity Killer in Dexter. Okay. And it was because I, I, I had moved all of my stuff at that point into the basement of the house I was living in. And walking down the stairs when it was dark at night and stuff like that was really giving me the heebie-jeebies when yeah. I was watching Dexter. So after after I got through the Trinity Killer, I was like, I can't watch the rest of the show and I never finished Dexter. Right. Like, I'm like, it's getting worse. It's getting harder. But yeah. so, sometimes I'm more uh, not great with gore in comparison to... And it's not that I don't like gore or anything, but sometimes if it's like overly gratuitous, I'm a little bit like, which is... Happens to me more with the boys than anything else. For sure. So. <laughs> uh, paranormal activity. Yeah. The end of paranormal activity where you're waiting for something to come through that darkened doorway. Uh, that suspense is, it just kills me. Yeah. That type of suspense is the problem because it's like the, I think it was Alfred Hitchcock that said something to the effect of like absence of sound is worse than actual sound. Yeah. In a movie. And uh, when I watched Woman in Black that there was two things it was either like absence of sound or repetitive sound happening before the big boom sure and there's a sequence and this is in the daniel radcliffe version of of the uh woman in black there's a rocking chair in the corner and the rocking chair slowly starts moving and then it starts getting faster and right. faster. And by that point, it's whack, 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 whack. And that freaks me the hell out. I don't sure. know why, but like that one seared into my brain. Um, also, not a horror movie, but a suspense one. The the conversation with Gene Hackman. Yeah, I never Just, saw that. It's it's from the 70s, I think. It's, it's supposed to have a Watergate type feel. It's one of Harrison Ford's earliest roles. There is a sequence where... Um, somebody was killed and then shoved into the plumbing or something like that. Okay. And he flushes the toilet and the f- toilet starts raising and then just blood starts coming out of the yeah. toilet. And he wasn't the one that put it in there. He was listening to the conversation next door. Yeah. And so he had like all this tech that he was doing. So as the blood just starts pouring out of the toilet, that one stuck with me too. Right. So it's like little like sequences like that or like what lies beneath where like I can't do lakes. Mm-hmm. I, everything with what lies beneath just freaks me out. Right. So, um, but it's more of like suspense that really gets me. If something is over gratuitous and like gore or scariness, sometimes I I have the opposite direction and I laugh at it. Yeah, exactly. That's that's been my uh, because when I was a kid, as is well documented in many podcasts, <laughs> um, I was a huge chicken. Like if you'd ask me at you know like eleven years old, what scares me? Um, Poltergeist two the twilight zone movie where the little kid brings the tasmanian devil to life out of the tv like the weird version of that was always uh friggin terrifying to me and stuff yeah but then now that i'm older and after watching a lot of comedy horror like army of darkness and dead alive now the more bombastic yes. gore or the the jump scare the more my my natural reaction now is to go ha, ha, yeah got me 
I nice. can't I can't tell you how many times I did that during Renfield. Yeah. Because there's like one part where like he like tears some guy in half. Yeah. Somebody and, drops somebody on a car and they just explode like a water balloon. Yeah. Yeah. And like but there was like the one where he like had jumped down the center. Yeah. Of that apartment complex and he just tears somebody in half and then he's like waving at Aquafina like with a <laughs> smile on his face as he goes down and I'm just like this is looking ridiculous. Right. So exactly. like that that's where I get those moments where I'm just like oh my God I shouldn't be laughing but I am. So. Here's here's a question you may or may not know the answer to. What is Bruce Campbell's name, uh, his full name in Army of Darkness? No, no Ash. Ash, yeah, it's, it's Ashley Williams. Ah. And then here's here's probably probably an easy one for you because uh, so I'm gonna give you four things and you got to tell me which one Army of Dar- or Evil Dead has not been turned into a musical, a video game, a board game, a motorcycle. Which one of those has not had the Evil Dead branding attached to it? I would have to guess um, a a video game. That is incorrect. Really? Yeah. There's a bunch of Evil Dead video games. Uh, a motorcycle. They've never made a Evil Dead motorcycle. See, I thought you were trying to trick me, so I didn't. With the motorcycle? Pick yeah, I didn't yeah. pick that one automatically <laughs> because I thought you were messing with me. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. So yeah, you're uh, you're you're zero for two. That's fine. That's eh, all right. I don't, I have literally seen Army of Darkness once, Evil Dead once, yeah, musical once. That right. is the extent of my knowledge. Yeah, it's, I don't retain things the first time around. Well, yeah, it's like yesterday, <laughs> last night. I meant to stream, and then instead, I came home and I put on Enter the Spider Verse because mm-hmm. we, we were talking about wanting to watch it again Spider-Man after. Brain Brain Rat. Right. Um and. I was I'd, I'd ask you about the after credit sequence. You're like, I didn't see it. I'm like, I've watched this movie so many times. How have you not well, seen I the after credit sequence? That movie once. That's wild. Or like maybe twice once you bought the DVD, but I've never rewatched it. Right. Because it's not easily accessible to me. Yeah, it's just <laughs> it, like when it was on Netflix, it was like, oh, Spider Verse, sure, I'll put that on and I just leave it in the background. It was on Netflix, I thought it was it's, off streaming this entire time. It's That's why not. It was on Netflix for a while, and now it is not. Yeah, when it was on Netflix, I didn't know it was on Netflix because then I would have watched it. Yeah, because it's my favorite one. Yeah, like I mean, now this new one might have you know pushed it out, but like right. at the same time, I was like, I because it wasn't on streaming, I don't typically go and grab a dvd and watch a dvd yeah so it's that <laughs> well a couple of things that uh came up while the the interview was going on that um that i forgot to mention a couple of wrestling news highlights first Breaking of all AEW has confirmed two matchups for their forbidden door event where it's them and new japan mm-hmm. uh one of them over the weekend was uh daniel bryan or brian danielson is going to fight kazuchika okada and yep. they also confirmed that kenny omega will fight will osprey which will be a good match. Those guys are two flippy dudes. Seth Rollins is so sad that he doesn't get to fight Will Ospreay. So upset that he doesn't get to be a part of that stuff. Um, And the other bit of news, which actually I I saw on Twitter about 10 minutes before we went live, is that uh, one of our favorite wrestlers on Twitter, the Iron Sheik, has passed away at the age of 81. There's a uh, like four panel, um, uh, like, you know, eulogy for old Sheiky baby. I just, you you just found I that's how I found out just now so yeah. I, I have no words <laughs> yeah that's uh but you know eighty one and as we we've talked about before we love his presence on Twitter and we're not entirely sure that it was the Sheik and if it wasn't I hope it continues into perpetuity yeah that was my so thought be immortalized like, forever 
as sad as that is, that was the first thing that went to my mind was like, no more shiki tweets. Yeah. Mm, that's like my favorite thing on Twitter. <laughs> now I can leave Twitter. The chic is gone. Yeah. Well, just think of it this way. How blessed are we to be to have been alive at a time where the Iron Sheik was on Twitter? It's true. <laughs> saying Hulk Hogan is the worst. <laughs> Calling everyone Bubba. Well, um, we end the show as we typically do talking about our, our serotonin boost. But this week, um, I, I think we both have the same thing. Yeah, we were. So we were going to actually um, end segment and do this at the end. So we'll do like. A little brief overview, non-spoilers, of what we thought of the Spider-Verse as our serotonin boost. Right. We'll run the production, and then if you have not seen Spider-Man, don't listen to the end tag production, because we're going to do heavy spoilers there, and I don't want anybody... This is the part where I say, Tony, turn off the podcast, <laughs> because I'm doing this for you. Right. I, I mostly am doing this for you, and then everyone else that hasn't seen it, but mostly for you. Uh <laughs> but I think we can safely, non-spoilerly, say that if you haven't seen Spider-Verse, you absolutely need to. Yes. Yes, the animation is amazing. The storyline is amazing. H how did you put it that you didn't think that they'd strike lightning twice, but they did? I knew that it would be good. I could not have imagined it would be this good. Yeah. And I love the first Spider-Man Enter the Spider-Verse. In fact, I I'd said that that was my favorite Spider-Man movie when it came out, and that held true until two days ago. Same. And now the new one is probably my favorite Spider-Man movie ever. Right. Yeah. And it's it's definitely worth seeing. I know a lot of people are struggling on cash right now. Um, If you want to see the Spider-Verse movie, go to an AMC on Tuesdays. The no, I think it's a I think it's an M MJR. Is it AMC? Or MJR? It's AMC. OK. Isn't it? Yeah, it's AMC. Yeah. They do seven dollar Tuesdays. Yep. So if you are short on cash and can't like don't want to fork out the $14 or $20, depending on where you're going to right. see a movie. That would be my suggestion is to hit up an AMC, see the national anthem that is Nicole Kidman saying heartbreak feels good in a place like this. That's right. And uh, get yourself some Spider-Verse because it's definitely, definitely worth it. Okay. All right. So we'll, we're going to quote unquote end the show here and then hit spoilers. So make sure that you follow us on all social media. We are currently blowing up. Sorry to uh, G DTG Canada, I believe is his username, and Sam for pinning your comments on the Transformers video because now they're getting as many notifications as we are. Uh -huh. um, but you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, everything else uh, by going to acronymis.com slash really big fan pod. That is where also you can find our Patreon information. Please, 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 if you love our podcast, Go in on the Patreon. We have not set up any tiers as of right now, so you can still name your price yep. as to what you want to donate to us to help us keep this podcast alive. If you only can donate one a dollar, that is totally cool. Just as long as, you know, we can continue to do this and help us get, you know, the equipment that we need or even just, you know, pay for the time it takes for us to do this every week. Exactly. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. Um, And like I said, you know, Hit us up at acronymis.com slash really big fan pod. We may or may not run a replay tonight because we're not sure if we're out of the video done yet. Right. Because Twitch we, crashed kind of in the middle of it. Yep. But um, if we do, we will have we will post on our social media if we're running a replay tonight. The YouTube video up will be up tomorrow at 8 p.m. And then the podcast drops at 3 a.m. on Fridays. 3 a.m. Just like paranormal activity. It, and when 3 a.m. I must be lonely. Oh, no. Say it, baby.
There goes the DMCA. <laughs> we got nailed. I don't sound like him. <laughs> I can't hit Rob Thomas's range. Man, it's a hot one. <laughs> I'm legitimately having a hard time uh, when I was at the comic store yesterday. Mm-hmm. Like anybody buying anything, Spider-Man, I'm like, did you see it? Did you see it? And when, they, when they're when they not, when they haven't, I'm like, oh, you got to see it. Oh, you're going to have such a good time <laughs> when you see it. I, I actually, the first customer I rang up at the comic store yesterday was a trio of young ladies. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them was buy, bought a Spider-Punk uh, Miles Morales issue, a Spider Gwen issue, and a regular amazing, like Amazing Spider Man, nice. like obviously had a good ass time at that movie. I don't know how you cannot have a good ass time at that movie. You know, I've been noticing, like, I, I kind of I ended up muting that group that you sent me, yeah, already because every post I saw was literally them going, Miles Morales is Spider Man, and apparently people are still being racist. And that ain't cool, guys. Well, that's the... Okay, so we'll just dive right into spoilers like ahead of time. Like, that's one of the plot points is that he's not supposed to be Spider-Man. Yes. Like, he got bit by a a spider that wasn't even supposed to be there. Yeah, it was uh, from World 42. Right, from Earth 42. And so, like, that's, that's a fascinating plot point that I never put together... In the first place, is that the spider is not even from his universe. Well, and did you notice that when we rewatched the first one yesterday, that that spider is in the opening credits and it says the number on it? Yeah. 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 So, like, I didn't see it that the first time around, right. but once I knew that it was important when we watched it yesterday, I saw the difference. But you pointed out, too, that, like, it glitches mm-hmm. just like everybody does when they're not in their right universe, which is yeah. like, oh, that's something that, you know, like, it's a little thing that you don't really think anything about. Here's another little thing that you don't really think anything about um, until, like, once the movie's over. Miles has the electric sting. Yeah. No other spider person has that. Nope. Except Hobie. Hmm. Hobie's the one that tells him, use your full hands, not oh, your, yeah. use your palms, not your fingers. Yeah, Which yeah. means Hobie knows, I can't wait to find out what that's about. Don't know. I mean, like, the first thing that popped into my head was maybe it's a black person thing. Maybe. Just because Hobie comes, that's, that's, takes off his mask and he's got this awesome head of hair and, uh, you know. Hands down, best Spider-Man. Oh, my God. I loved Spider-Punk so much and I want to see more of Hobie. And I love that Daniel, how do you say his last name? Kuyuja or uh, something? I don't know. I've got an article up here that talked about the animation for it. Yeah. Which is just fucking amazing, too. So as you're watching the movie, if you are listening to it, yeah, Kaluuya. Yeah, yeah Daniel Kaluuya. Daniel Kaluuya. I thought for some reason, I thought it was David. Um, If you haven't seen the movie or if you're rewatching the movie... Uh, there are different elements of his costume that are animated at different frame rates. Yeah, they said the body is animated on the threes, offset the vest. It's also on the threes, but it's delayed by a frame or two. The guitar is animated on the fours, and the outline of him is only on the twos, only when he's moving. Should remain static when he's held. And then there's the cutout around the guitar that's not animated at all. Yeah, which is super slick. 
Um, he's not in the movie the whole time, but he makes best use out of it when he is. Yeah. Gwen, it starts off with Gwen's whole backstory. I love that it, I love that we got like a full 10 minutes of Gwen before the movie even kind of starts. Talk about the drum thing because I, I can't do that justice. Oh my God. So yeah, like it starts with her doing this like drum solo like she's at band practice and she's doing this fucking kick-ass drum solo while she's explaining her backstory to you and there's this like four note arpeggio of strings these four climbing notes that play over and over again and i don't know if it's the exact same notes as the strings at the end of what's up danger but it's the same it's the same progression it may not be the exact same notes, but it's the same progression mixed with the drums. The person I pulled up the soundtrack yesterday and I was just getting goosebumps just listening to the uh, the music. Yeah, because like it's such a like I'm listening to it and I can picture the scene that the music was in. And like every spider person has their own music cues. Yeah, which is interesting. Like Gwen's stuff is it's not punk. It's more like punk pop. Yeah, but it also has this like. You know how the prowler has the prowler noise? Yes. Gwen has this like high violin noise mm-hmm. that goes with hers. And then Spidey 2099 has this like lower yeah. string noise that's closer to the prowler noise. And then, of course, Spider Punk has just fucking like trash drums, like punk London rock music. Calling. Yeah. That, his whole aesthetic is built off of the Sex Pistols. Right. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, you have all of those elements. You have um, the it's a thing that I was obsessed with was the fact that like everything that's Gwen related is trans colors. Yeah. And that's like I'm usually pretty like I can I can pick that stuff out usually. And it didn't occur to me until I started reading threads on Twitter on how when she talks to her dad, when she reveals to her dad that she's Spider-Man, that it's a very the 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 speech she gives is very similar to a trans person having to come out to their, you know, their relatives mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I was like, okay, I see it. Like, I'm not saying it's not there yeah, no, for the, sure. The but I was are very potent. She has the trans flag in her bedroom. Mm-hmm. Her dad's uh, uniform has a trans flag on it. Yeah. So it's never been explicitly said, but Gwen is probably more than likely trans. And yeah. it's just never explained. Right. Which is a big deal considering this is a huge Marvel movie. It's going to be seen by a bunch of people, probably by bigots, unfortunately. But, but more importantly, them making a stance of like, no, trans lives are lives. Trans people are people. Trans women well, are women. All more of that. More importantly, in the same way that when you, you know, at the end of the first Miles Morales movie, when he says anyone can wear the mask, you can wear the mask kind of thing. It's it's letting kids know that, like, if you don't look like white guy Peter Parker, that doesn't mean you can't be Spider-Man. And this is uh, also similar st- style representation to L- the LGBTQ people of like look if you're if you're trans if you're gay or something like like there you could still be spider-man yeah like absolutely there's spider there's a spider-man for everybody exactly yeah and there's just the whole storyline is crazy um the way that there were a lot of people that took issue with how ditzy peter b parker was being with his kid and i was like no he's excited because miles changed his entire life by being miles And he realized, like, he could go back to Mary Jane. He could go and have a kid because that was the reason why they broke up was they wanted to. She wanted to have kids and he got scared. Yeah. So now you see him with his daughter who 
totally as already as just mischievous as he is. Oh, Mayday Parker. Mayday Parker. She's got that little, little, knit little beanie. beanie. Spider-Man <laughs> beanie. And she can shoot webs, apparently, already. Yeah, he he said he something about giving her a web shooter. shooter. Yeah. So it, it's it's definitely funny from that end. And then you have the disgruntled uh, Miguel standing there like going like go away go away clearly those two at some point were friends yeah and now miguel is just so angry and hateful and seasoned with all of this aggression from what happened to him i saw a really cute fan uh comic on twitter of miguel and um Peter and Peter is making faces at uh, yeah. Mayday to try and get her to like you know not be she, she's like you know unhappy or something mm-hmm. like that and Miguel looks over his shoulder and sees it happening and then starts making scary faces at her and she gets happy <laughs> from behind Peter that's cute <laughs> yeah yeah there's um we kind of had a difference of opinion on on how we felt about Miguel like I I love Oscar Isaac and I love the character and the character is very evil and everything yeah. else but I cannot justifiably look at Miguel and think that he's doing things for the right reasons. Right. He and I'm so angry and bitter about what happened to him that he's doing all of this because it's like, well, if I had to go through it, so do all of you. Right. And that's kind of how I fell with it. And then you and had I, a difference of opinion. Yeah. I feel like he's traumatized by like he's seen an entire universe unravel and he doesn't want anyone else to have to live with that. And if he, he has to make the hard decisions, which are to uphold the canon events, then he's willing to be that villain. It's definitely it's like almost all the Marvel Cinematic Universe villains. It's very gray area. Mm-hmm. You know, it's on the surface, at least it's very gray area. But if you dig a little bit deeper, then you get what what you have as opinion. And it was like, no, this is bullshit. Like, yeah. there's a better way. There was a lot of discussion on Twitter about which um, Spider-Man would have backed Miles up. That's the thing is that I there's not a lot of like I can't imagine very many Peter Parker Spider-Men that would have been like, yeah, I'm on board. Yeah. Like they all would have been just like Miles was like, no, there's always a way. Yeah, I, I definitely feel because they were like posting the pictures from the live action Spider-Man. Of like, yeah, all three live action Spider-Man would have been siding with Miles. There yeah. would have been no question there. And I think that's what we have to look forward to in the sequel. It's mm-hmm. just a full on war between, yeah. you know, two factions of Spider-People. Yeah, because now we've got uh, Gwen is bringing up an entire gang of Spider-People, yeah. including the original Spider-People from the first movie right there with her. So I guess that probably confirms that we're getting back Nick Cage, John Mulaney, everybody else, hopefully... After John Mulaney's most recent special, I'd said when we watched the first one last night, it's hilarious to me to think of how much drugs he was on when he was recording the lines for Spider-Pig. <laughs> My hands are wet because I just washed them. No other reason. <laughs> no other reason. <laughs> yeah. So and that was also it was an interesting callback to in the beginning of the movie when they show the the version of the vulture that attacks Gwen oh, so in good. the beginning is like sketch drawn, but he pulls a weapon out of nowhere and Miguel yells, he works with hammer space, got- which calls back to the way that uh, Spider-Ham carries that giant mallet in his pocket or the anvil or anything else. Like all of that just comes out of nowhere. That's another fascinating, I don't know if you saw, but that's another fascinating music note that I realized in the score is that the, uh, the music... Um, the music cues for the vulture mm-hmm. are opera. Yeah. There's an opera singer. And it's amazing to listen to the music to the scene where 2099 and Gwen 
uh, and and Spider Woman, uh, Jessica Drew, all fight him because of, like while you're listening to it, there'll be one particular, there'll be like Gwen's little, little high violin note. And then there'll be an opera note. And then they merge them together while the fight is going on. Nice. Yeah. It's really like, it's so expertly, everything in this movie is so expertly done. The, the representation too, we, um, I, I was saying how I thought it was really cool that they had a pregnant spider woman. Yeah. And then you mentioned too, there, there was a spider person. There's the one that's in the wheelchair wheelchair that has the crutches, which is awesome. There's a, T-Rex. Yeah, there's T-Rex, a T-Rex. representation. There's a, a cat. Bring your bird. There They'll love it. There's a cowboy. I love the cowboy. So there's a cowboy and he shoots webs out of his gun. Out of like a two a double barrel shotgun. And the the horse uh is what sticks to the walls. So and the horse is also wearing a mask. It's so good. Just a wag. There is also Metro Boomin. um who curated the soundtrack for this movie this time around. He got his own spider person, and it looks just like Metro Boomin wearing like a white spider person outfit. Yeah, he's like, "Where are you going? You got nowhere to go." And then they bust out of the window of uh, what is that? What is that Earth called? A uh, Nuva York. Yeah, oh yeah. So he busts out the window and he goes, "My bad, guys. I guess there was a way out." And uh, there is actually a reaction video where Metro Boomin was watching it in theaters, yes. and he just starts awesome. laughing, and then it cuts to. A video of him actually doing the lines. Recording the lines. Which is amazing because we, we don't usually see back behind the scenes of like the voice cast recording. Yeah. So it was cool to see Metro Boomin get to do that and then have his hand in the soundtrack, which has been something that has been happening with the um, the movies that they've been having with the black community involved. They've been making sure that the person that's curating the soundtrack is part of the hip hop community, which is really awesome because uh, Black Panther was done by Kendrick Lamar. I don't know that there's a whole lot of money involved in it, but I miss curated soundtracks. Oh, yeah. I miss like like the Tank Girl soundtrack that I love so much was curated by Courtney Love. Nice. Like I I miss having soundtracks of like covers and B-sides and stuff that is just like. Well, like my favorite is the crow, and yeah, it's always crazy batch of songs. Yeah, I really wish they would do that more because I feel like it would get people interested. I mean, every movie that they've done with DC, where there's been one, or or more so, just James Gunn. Yeah, things. every James Gunn every movie James has a great Gunn soundtrack. It has a soundtrack, and like I got in really heavy into hair metal because of Peacemaker right. <laughs> for a hot minute there. Um, and all, all the Guardian soundtracks, even the Christmas soundtrack, is great. Yeah, the Suicide Squad soundtracks are always great. So hopefully Marvel will continue to do that because I know Captain Marvel is going to be the next thing, the next big movie. Yeah. And they usually do that with her movies, too. And Kamala Khan for the Miss Marvel TV show had tons of needle drops. So you think we're going to hear, was it blinking lights at some point during the Marvels? Because it was all over the Miss Marvel. Yeah, probably. But, you know, it might queue up when uh, they first show Kamala. Right. And when she starts screaming because of the um the cat yeah i forget what they call those oh the flar flargan flargans or something yeah yeah when a goose turns into a flargan and, and there's a bunch of kittens and in the what? trailer oh i didn't see there's that. a bunch of kittens awesome. come running down a, a stairwell but yeah like with everything that they're doing i hope they do more curated soundtracks because i definitely think it would be awesome and then just in general if you haven't like we said before, if you haven't seen the movie yet, or if you just decided to listen to this, even if you know you're going to go see the movie anyway, 
it's definitely fun. There's a lot of plot twists. There, yeah, there's about like I think there's three big twists that like if you're paying attention now that now that you've heard me say if you're paying attention you will be paying attention when this stuff happens Mm -hmm. but because i'm just enjoying the movie and seeing it for the first time when they hit they're so i i think when we left i was like this is the first movie in a long time that has pulled off the empire strikes back yeah in such a great way like i think maybe the last jedi was kind of good for that or like Mar- the infinity war movie yeah is really good for like oh shit oh shit mm-hmm. now you gotta God wait twists. forever to see the next one well, but it says march next year yeah well 2024 i'd be surprised if they can get the animation done by then if they're probably already working on it but i would fingers crossed if, if they already put that date down that they worked on them back to back like the lord of the rings movies are back to the future yeah. two and three that they're like just hammer this thing out just do it all at one time yeah it just it, it sucks it's gonna be so long until we see the other one like i almost died in between infinity or an end game <laughs> like <laughs> so it, it definitely is worth seeing though even if the if anything for the art style the art style is amazing it's definitely mind-blowing and it's gotten better since the other movie which i didn't think was possible yeah that was one of the reasons i wanted to watch the first one again because i was almost sure watching it that like they have like things feel more 3D than they did last time. And yeah. they do, but they also have the great art style that they established in the first one. Yes, absolutely. With the dots everywhere. Mm-hmm. I wish they would do more of the text on the screen like they did when like Miles would fall and it yeah. he'd be like, whoa, and it, like, it would go down with him. Yeah. They don't do that in this one, but they do have, um, when if you're listening to Spider-Punk talk, he says a lot of things that are not American slang. Yeah. So they put a little yellow like cocky box. slang. Yeah. To like so to put, fill you in on what's they put that little comic comic book yellow thing where it's in the comic book font explaining what he means by it. And it's just a quick flash, but I I loved that. People were saying that they were in certain theaters they were having problems with the sound. I would have liked some subtitles. Yes, absolutely. Like I I said that to Tony yesterday, friend of the show, and. He said, yeah, I really wish that there could have been subtitles. And he's like, oh, I hate subtitles. I'm like, I watch everything at home with subtitles because yeah. I I mishear things a lot, too. Well, I got to so. a point, especially with Doctor Who, where like they would be talking so fast in an accent I am not familiar with. I would miss lines. Yeah. I just meant subtitles for the whole thing. And they do have um, some theaters. Like, I think I looked it up because he was looking for 3D, which this didn't come out in 3D from what I understand. Um, But... I looked at like an AMC website to even see like some of the bougier AMCs that I know of. One of them has a one that has subtitles and it's a special showing. So I don't know if it's on the screen or it was what Tony was explaining to me where they have somewhere you go in and you get these like bigger goggle things and it just runs the subtitles on the side of the screen for you with the goggles on so you can read it. But they had a special showing for it, so I would assume it's just in the movie. I would but think so, yeah. Who who knows how that's set up, but that was the one complaint I really heard from the get-go, was that some people were having a problem with hearing all the dialogue. And I, I know that in the beginning fight, I had a hard time hearing dialogue, but yeah. then the rest of the movie, I didn't. I've got no notes. So, yeah, everything is amazingly pleased. I think I also almost went again yesterday. I I think I'd said when we left the theater is like as somebody who works in a comic book store, I am angry that for the second time in a row, they have taken they have taken a bunch of characters from the Spider-Man universe and made them so good in a movie 
that it outshines every single story in the comics I've ever read of them. Yeah. And it's like, I, I know that people, like I said, people are going to come into comic book stores and they're going to want Spider-Punk comics. And like, I can't in good faith recommend one. Yeah. Because it's not going to light a, light a candle to the Hobie Brown you just saw in the movie. Well, we got to hope that, you know, with the way that all, all these movies tend to work is that there is like a, a reboot of the comic or something. And then they do yeah. one that's more the, in tune with that character. Exactly. The kind of thing where they're like, okay, what are the good, what are the things they did right in that movie that we can now adapt to the comic book version because i know you told me before like a lot of the time that they they kind of changed the way that like iron man worked in a lot of the comics and stuff like that because of how well the robert downey jr version did for sure so i that could that's my only hope with there and i i assume that that's what's happening with the death of miss marvel as well yeah so making her i think they're just going to make her more like the kamala that we see on screen from the marvels so right we'll see how it goes but hopefully and that, that that's no knock into any of our local comic book stores. Please, please. No, please that's the thing. I want you to buy comics. I want you to go to your local comic book store. It's just that, like, you're not going to read anything that's even close to what you just saw at the theater, man. Right. Like, I I, I hate be having to say, I hate saying that. I hate having that opinion. Yeah. But you, I'm You said that so, when we walked you know, out, and I was like, yeah, well, like, it's it's not going to be the same story. Even if they tried so to reload, I feel like it won't. Yeah, like, I think when we walked out of the theater, I was like, if I could get that level of story, and then, like... You know, if I only got like four issues a year of Spider-Man and it was that good, I'd be fine. Like I, I would buy everything if it was always that awesome. Right. You know, and I just had to because like Saga is is like that where you get like six months of trade paperbacks worth of books and then they take a couple months off so they can come back. Yeah. Kind of thing. And I don't, maybe that's where. Man, that's where comic books need to go. I mean, sometimes you do need that time frame to flesh things out better rather than just it's like quality, not quantity situation. Right. A lot of people, they tend to do that, whether it be with content creation, whether it's with, you know, certain media and things like that. If you take your time and pause and create something, you're more likely to come up with something great versus just churning out song after song, album after album. Well, that's that's also like you like I don't know what the what the dollars and cents of publication schedules are like too. Maybe it's not, it's not monetarily worth it to not be cranking something out every single month. Yeah. And even it's if not it's, to say that you even can't. if it's mid range. Yeah. I mean, but if you're putting out Marvel comics and there's so many Marvel comics there, you have your stuff that you churn out every week, but then you take time with the characters you really need to be focused on or care right. about with some of them, you know, like even the, um, those DC books that you were bringing home that were the the black label comics and stuff, right. those even have an elevation of story compared to the just the regular old Batman runs. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, they'll they'll maybe look at this and go, hey, we're gonna do something more because there will be a demand for these other characters. Yeah, and I'm sure they'll the I'm sure they will see so I've already looked in like the first uh the first appearance of Spider Punk is like a between forty and eighty dollar book now. Yeah, and I don't know how recently that happened. If that happened when he was announced or when he was shown, or if that is an offshoot of what's going on in the movie. But probably a combination of all of it, because I know we've talked about it before. When like a, a character is going to be premiered, it's like, oh, is this yeah, is this something that you need to minute, list? Yeah, the minute uh, the minute somebody is announced for a movie is usually when their first appearance goes uh goes up. I'm hoping for Across the Spider Verse that we get Spider's Man. Oh, 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 I've never seen that one. Spider's Man was a Spider-Verse uh, version. It is a 
uh, colony of spiders that ate the corpse of Peter Parker and now believe they are him. Yeah. In a, in a Spider-Man costume. There was a there was a meme that was going around that the Spider-Man ice cream was also in the Spider-Man lobby. And I really true. hope that they put him in there. Would we, would like we when we watch it again, I am going to be looking specifically <laughs> for Spider-Man ice cream. I don't I don't think it's really in there. I think they took the frame from the first movie where they show the really janky Spider-Man ice cream and photoshopped it in. But if the animators are smart, they will find a way to include the Spider-Man ice cream again somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> for sure they, they use lego spider-man yeah which was animated by a 14 year old freaking amazing the the 14 year old in question i don't know his name he actually animated the whole trailer in lego and so then they brought him in to do that sequence in the movie where there's the lego spider world and it's only like a minute long, but like you're a 14 year old kid and you worked on the Spider-Verse movie. Yeah. That's insane. He's going to go to an art college and that's going to be on his resume. Yeah. It's either that or he's going to change his desire on what he wants to be. And they're like, but dude, you worked on a Spider-Man movie. <laughs> so, you know, shout out to that kid wherever you are. I'm proud of you. Oh, yeah. I wish I could be that talented at 14. Right. <laughs> go see Enter the Spider-Verse. Is it Enter the Spider-Verse? No, no, it's across the Spider Verse. Go see across it. Go see Enter the Spider Verse because it's great, and then go see Across the Spider Verse again. If they make, if they do a double showing of Across and Beyond back to back next, it weird. Oh yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah, I also I, I'm begging you guys at Marvel to make these titles easier to remember because I don't remember what they're called. Yeah, <laughs> um, I don't remember what any of Tom Holland's Spider Man movies are called either no, I, they all I have, have home to, in them yeah I, I i always have to google it though because they all have home in it so i don't remember what they're called home, homecoming far from home no way home yeah i always forget those three i could be remembering something very important but instead yep i remember those that's okay <laughs> i just remember lyrics to limp biscuit songs well now i know why you won't hate me Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you've gotten this far, we appreciate you. Go check out our stuff at acronymis.com slash reallybigfanpod. Follow us, donate to our Patreon, all that good stuff, and go see Spider-Man.